Welcome to the On The Edge podcast with your host, Scott Groves. I'm interested to hear like your experience of scaling this online business. Like what was a surprise for you? What was like a direct takeaway from like, ah, I learned how to do that in the mortgage business. It's just, it's just applying it to another business model. Like what, what's, what's been the takeaways, the successes and the failures? So there's a lot of great business books out there, but I think the ones that most pertain to how I run my business, there was a book called Rework. The guys that started Basecamp, which is the, uh, it's actually the project management system that we use. They did blogs you know, years and years ago, and they did a whole bunch of them. They put them together into this book and they called it Rework. And the Rework idea was that you kept your business small and lean and you could move faster. Whereas we talked about like Encompass, where it's so big and so bloated. Look at Microsoft. I mean, they're huge and, you know, they just, they, they can't make changes. They can't turn on a dime. So Rework was always that philosophy. We try to keep our business small. I try to reward the people that work for our business. My personal idea of how I want people to be paid, I always, I always pay on how the company does for revenue. So there's always a, a, a base plus compensation based on, on how the company does as a whole. Not even things on that individual. Like you may want to pay, I've got people that do the onboardings, those 90 minute calls that, that you were talking about. And I could pay and say, hey, if you do, you know, every one of those, I'm going to give you 50 bucks. The problem is if our team, if, if I need them to, to give attention to something else and I'm taking them away from onboardings, well, then I'm taking money out of their pocket. But if I pay them on revenue, everything that they do that helps the company helps them. And everything that everyone else does helps them. So I like to, to always pay on revenue. I keep my team small. Um, we try to make sure that you've got cross, you know, cross training so other people can do other people's jobs. And then the other, the other great book is probably Michael Gerber and the E-Myth Revisited. So that's the idea of the owner, the manager, and the technician. And just being clear, no matter what kind of business you run, where you know where, what are those roles? What are the technician roles? Even if you're the owner and the manager and the technician, you know, I think he uses Sarah's Pie Company as the initial like kind of the example he uses. And you just kind of frame out what are those different positions. And as the owner, I am currently doing the you know the demos, or I used to do the onboardings, and then I yeah. hired somebody, and now they do all the onboardings, and you know, and, and then I started doing all the demos, and now I'm like, okay, I don't want to do the demos anymore. It's too much technician work. It's spending all my time. I'm not able to to have a vision for the company because I'm I'm too busy with technician work. So then you hire somebody, and and you fill that box. So I think Emith Revisited was a is a fantastic book with Michael Gerber. Um, it, it it focuses on processes for a consistent experience, which is something that we built our business on, that experience, your onboarding experience. Um, and that's also, we, we focus on that consistency. If I'm going to take on a new member or a new client, they have to fit into our system. We don't fit into theirs. If someone says to me, well, we need you to do this differently, then I say, I appreciate that, but maybe we're not the right company for you. Because as much as I want to work with everybody, if it doesn't fit into our system, we can't scale. And that was something that I fought my right-hand guy, Tom, with for a long time. I wanted to be everything to everybody and find a way to make it work. And we're going to customize this and we're going to do that. And instead, it's, nope, this is what we do. And this is why it works. And when someone's like, or like you, and Scott's like, I don't like your memes. And I'm like, that's fine, but they make your phone ring. So this is what we have. And yeah. if you don't, you know, this is how they work. And that's it. And that's kind of how we roll. And, and that, that has been very valuable because it stopped the distractions and allowed us to just scale faster. So keeping a lean team. Um, having processes and being, you know, just being true to your processes and scaling and not, not making changes and not going off your script, staying on what you do well 
and and letting people, you know, every time someone comes to us and they're like, well, other people have that website. And I'm like, yeah, they do. And you know why? Because we know it works. Because we have all the analytics and the heat mapping. That's where we can tell where people click on. And we have all these results. We're able to Basically, it's like group share. You know, we have 300, 400 people that have these results. So you're doing it by yourself. But we know this works. Why am I going to give you something totally different? Unless we're testing it, why, why would we give you something totally different just because you think it looks good? Who cares what it looks like? You know, do you want your site to get you loans? So you got to know what that stuff's going to do. So that's what I would say for running any business. What I have learned is keep my team small because you want to remain profitable. And it's easy to get a bloated team very quickly. And then you're doing meetings and then all, you know, again, you have more people, but less revenue or the same amount of, you know, same amount of revenue and, and just more work. And, and then also just scalable and stay on, stay in your lane with what you do well. Yeah. I, I actually think it is in the, it's probably in the E-Myth Revisited or some other such book that you and I have read where it's like, you should only hire a person. You should only hire a team member if they leverage your money or they leverage your time. So like if you can't make a direct correlation on a hire that like, hey, this hire is going to produce X amount of revenue or this hire is going to get me X amount of time back. So then I can either decide to create more revenue or spend more time with my family or go to jujitsu or buy another cowboy hat or whatever. Um, if you can't correlate directly an employee uh, or an FTE, full-time employee, if you can't correlate an FTE to an increase in ROI or an increase on our time, which is also a different type of return on investment, don't hire them. Right. And, um, and that's, and Tom, Tom held my feet to the fire on that. We had that conversation just a week ago when I said, okay, this opportunity to hire this individual who I've known for other company, you know, for four years and I've wanted her to work for us for a long time, I have an opportunity and I want to bring her on. And he's like, well, that's great, but how's that going to free up more of your time? How's that going to make it so that you can focus on these visionary tasks and, you know, running the company? And I had to justify to him, and that's his job is to hold me accountable. And I had to justify to him what was the plan on how this did exactly what you said. Makes us more money, frees up my time, and allows us to build the company and improve. Yeah. You know, th there's, a, there's a process I walk our coaching clients through, and it's just a simple spreadsheet that I always want them to have up on their desk. And it's funny because... When you get to a certain team level or a certain success level, they get it. They understand the spreadsheet. But where this spreadsheet really comes in handy is the person who doesn't yet have a team. They haven't made their first hire yet. And we just call it the RDS spreadsheet. Remove, delegate, and systematize. So it's basically a spreadsheet that says, hey, here's the task. Here's scale one to five, how much I like doing it. Five is I love doing it. I would do it for free or for some comp compensation. And a one is I want to stab my eye out with a spork. And so what it is, is you create the task, you, 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 or any task you do, you rank it one through five. And then if it's below a five, how, you know, there's a little place where it's like, what do I need to do to remove, delegate, or systematize this? And what I tell people that don't have employees yet is I'm like, hey, keep this up. Because when you're doing everything, you're going to realize you hate reviewing the appraisal with the client, you know, telling them that the appraisal came in at the contract price, above the contract price, below the contract price. If I never have that conversation again, I will be very, very happy. Um, so I put that as like, it's a number two. I never really want to do it again, but I'll do it if I have to. I need to systematize how the conversation goes. I need to create the email template. I need to create the script. And then the last piece of it, kind of to your point, is 
is this like a operator task? Meaning, you know, it could be somebody who's $15 an hour executive assistant. Is this a technician task? Meaning they've got to have some loan level, level knowledge and there might be some questions that come up. Or is this really like an owner, high level loan officer task? And what I try to tell the new people and almost nobody does it, is I'm like, what you're doing is you're building the job description for your next hire. And then when you have three people, you keep filling that out and you're like, all right, what's the next thing I can get off my plate so I can go do the visionary work and instead of selling one-to-one -to, -one to a realtor, I can go to a builder developer meeting and sell to a bunch of builder developers who are gonna give me 30 loans instead of just one loans. And constantly refining this RDS spreadsheet is something I try to instill in our coaching clients. And not surprisingly, the people that do it scale really fast because they know that their next hire is gonna take exactly these things off their plate and add more time and money to their business. And it's such a great tool and I can't talk people into using it. But you know what? You're forgetting the most important part when you hire somebody. You have to still do all the work and just pay them to watch you because that, that, that's, that's when I first started hiring people, like I'm going to hire a loan officer assistant and then I'm, you know, they're going to do this. And then what happens is you're like, okay, um, well, this one's a little unique. I'm going to do this and you watch, and then you'll do the next one. And then the next one comes in. You're like, okay, well, I, I'm going to show you on this one because this one's different than the other one. So you have to hire somebody and still do all the work. And then you know that's what, and then when you finally realize that you're doing that and and how terrible that is, that's when you're actually ready to grow with people. When you're like, okay, totally. I'm going to put the, and, and part of that is that other thing that I was going to say, which is you got to pull the emotion out of it, and that's very difficult in the loan business because. You've got people that may be buying a home and you never want to let somebody down in this idea of buying a home. And I'm not telling you that it's okay to let anybody down. It, it, you never want that to happen. You want to build processes where you're not letting them down. But at the same point, you have to take the emotion out. When, when I first would have people cancel, I was crushed. I took it personally. Like, Scott, what did I do wrong? Yeah. It's me, not you, Scott. I can change. How can I change the whole company just to retain I, I one person? I can change for you, Scott. And and like and and then now, like it's it's actually a rule. They don't tell me when somebody cancels because I'm like, well, why did they cancel? Well, we obviously did something wrong, right. you know, like, and, and, and that just, but that's not it. Sometimes, you know, as you grow a company and we've grown, you know, quite extensively, you're going to lose people. That's part of that process. And so those are the two things is when you remove that emotion, it's easier to train somebody and then let them do their job. And that was like, when I brought on Austin to do our onboardings, Austin watched me do the onboardings and I promised him we were going to put together a checklist of all the things we do. And I promised him that at least 30 times and I never did it 30 times, but he watched enough of them. And then I turned him loose and I watched him do it twice. And the first time I think I, I think I like let him get out one word and I would step on him and I would, he would do something. And I would say, Austin, you got to do it like this. And I said, Austin, you got it. And then the second call, I just muted and I still talked at it, but I he couldn't hear me. So I'm like, Austin, you're doing this wrong. Austin, you... And what I realized is that Austin wasn't really doing it wrong. Austin was doing it like Austin and not like Hammer. And you learn to focus on the results. I get people that come to me and they say, Hammer, Austin was fantastic. He did an amazing job. Now, that shows me that they're having a positive experience. But are, they, are we setting things up properly? So we do an audit on them afterwards and we could see he is doing them properly. And then are we getting the results with these people? Well, they're getting the results. So... If I go listen to Austin today, I guarantee you I'll cringe. Oh, no, we're why, why did you say that? Oh, you don't want to do that. Oh, no. But 
Austin does Austin and he does Austin really well. And our people are happy. The results are there. So I just need to shut up and get out of the way. And I don't listen. I don't record the calls. I don't monitor them anymore. And that's one of the things you have to do is you have to give people that freedom to get the result and kind of get there in their own way or handle it their own way. Take your emotion out of it. And that's hard for some of us as micromanagers. It's funny because I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've owned, uh, you know, we haven't talked about the fact that when I bought the vacuum cleaner store or other things that I've owned, and I was never as emotionally attached to those as I was to our mortgage business because of my experience in this industry and my reputation in the industry. And when you're so emotionally attached to that, it's hard to let those tasks go. It's hard to let, some, you're afraid something's going to go wrong. And sometimes it will. And then you focus on fixing it and not letting it go wrong again. And, you know, how can you make sure that that is a minimal mistake if it does happen? And then yeah. I think that's a, every business owner can take that. Don't, don't try to just teach, you know, don't, don't pay somebody to watch you do their job. Let yep. them do their job. And sometimes you have to stop watching them do their job because they're going to do it different than you, but it's still all right. Yeah. You're, you're reminding me of two things. You're reminding me of that General Patton, the greatest general probably ever, basically won us World War II. Um, general Patton has this quote where he said, uh, don't tell people how to do things. Tell them what you want done and then let them surprise you with their ingenuity. Because because we're going to smoke the cigar differently. We're going to run mortgage businesses differently. Right. You know, We're meeting tomorrow for a couple hours because... I'm going to tell you how to run your originator success business. And you're going to tell me how to run my coaching business. And we're both going to cringe and be mad at each other. But it's like, I can see the flaws in your business better mm -hmm. than you can. And you can see the flaws in my business better than I can, because we just have different, you know, like thoughts of ingenuity right. on how to get shit done. So I'm reminded of that quote. And then it's funny when you mentioned the don't pay somebody to just sit there and watch them. I'm coaching a client right now who, who you would think very fondly of, like you, you get, you guys would just hit it off. And he's told me very clearly, he's like, my kids are almost out of the house. I've got another year or two with them. And then I've got probably another five or 10 years in this business. And I'm okay on the path to retirement. But if I want to retire like a rock star, within five years, I need to be making two and a half million dollars a year. I need to do that for a couple of years. And then instead of like vacationing in Big Bear, my wife and I will get to vacation in Italy for, for our retirement. And I'm like, all right, if that's your goal by five years, you know, four, four years and 10 months from now, you want to be making two and a half million dollars. We can get you there, but let's just do the math real quick. So we did the math. I'm like, you want to take vacations. You want to do this. You want to do that. You're going to work about 2000 hours a year, more or less. And yeah, a lot of people work more than 40 hours a week and they won't take four weeks of vacation. But also a lot of that time you're going to be screwing around watching cat videos on YouTube. So you're going to get about 2000 hours of quality work in. I go, so if we just take two and a half million divide by 2000 hours, your time is well is worth $1,250 an hour, $1,250 an hour. That means you don't ever get to go to Chick-fil-A again. You know, I, we went to Chick-fil-A for dinner. I'm like, if it's work time, you don't get to go to Chick-fil-A because you would never pay somebody $1,200 an hour to go pick up your Chick-fil-A. Right. So you got to be at your desk, dialing for dollars, building systems, scaling the team. You got to hire somebody to go get Chick-fil-A. And I actually use this example. Funny that we got Chick-fil-A. I'm like, and when they bring you back the grilled chicken sandwich instead of the spicy chicken sandwich, shut your fucking mouth and get back to work making 1200 bucks an hour because you don't have time to think about the $20 an hour tasks. And he, and he said this, he goes, so you mean I don't have to sit there anymore and watch my LOA do their job? I'm like, no, no, that's exactly the yeah. opposite of what you want to do. Because now not only are you wasting her $30 an hour, you're losing $1,200 an hour every hour that you have to sit with them and micromanage their stuff. So if you don't have the right person in the seat, fire them tomorrow and find the right person. He's like, no, no, she's the right person for the job. I'm like, then lay off and let her do her job. And when she screws up, you're going to have to solve it with your knowledge, with some time, 
you're going to have to write a check for 5,000 bucks to fix their mistake, but that's okay. Cause that's the only way you can get to $1,200 right. an hour tasks. The only way you get to where everybody's want. doing all the yeah. other tasks. And I could just see the light bulb going on over zoom, like a little it's halo. So was over hard. Like even now I get, I get, I'll get consulted for some of the tickets, right? So one of two things works the best for us. Tom will either just reach out to me and say, check these tickets. And I have to click the link to that one individual ticket or he's got it set where there's a view that I can only see the tickets that he's assigned to me. Because if I go into all our tickets, I just start randomly answering them. And I'm like, Hey, wait, I'm a really highly paid support person now. Yeah. You know, I'm like, why am I like answering a support ticket that, because funny thing is I, I learned this when I was an executive and I would go on vacation and I would always have a re auto reply to my email and it would say, I have deleted your email. If you really need me again, I come back Monday, email me again. And people were like, you're out of your mind. I'm like, you come back from vacation, you're going through literally thousands of emails and the ones from Monday and Tuesday, you get to those first because they're the oldest and you're jumping on those issues and you find out all those issues were, were solved by Wednesday. They didn't need you. You're not as important as, I tell people, I'm just not that important. You think I'm important because you need me that moment. But like you said, the ingenuity, they'll figure it out themselves. And I, and, but it's so hard to just continue to do that because I like helping people. I like interacting with our members. I like being involved, but I have to say to myself, nope, that's what they do. I don't do that now. Yeah. And it's, but it is hard. It's funny. Al said, the guy we referenced earlier, who you met down in San Diego at the last event, he said, that's the hardest thing for him because we all as, you know, alpha male, alpha females, micromanaging, like we have this God complex where we want to fix all the problems. He's like, he said this the other day when we were, we were doing a little site visit. He's like, I get a dopamine hit from fixing the problem. Yeah. Doesn't matter how small or how big, mm -hmm. if I fix the problem, you puff up your chest, you're like, hell yeah, I still got it. I'm still the loan officer. <laughs> I know I know how to fix that guideline and do that thing. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, right after the dopamine hit, he's like, I'm a fucking idiot. Cause I paid other people a combination of $200 an hour to fix those problems. And not only did I just waste my time, I made them less successful at their job because what I really did by stepping in and fixing the problem is I just told all of them subconsciously, they can't do you're it. not good enough to fix that problem. I'm paying you to sit around and not fix problems because I'm the big boss and I can do it. And I, that's a self-awareness at, I think he's 29, 30, 31. I, that's yeah, a self-awareness at 30 have. years old I didn't have. I'll, I'll tell you, to prove the point that Al and I are doing it right, Al is a member, but I have no idea about any of Al's stuff the only thing I remember seeing as I was looking at something once was his assistant was talking to our support team. So he has no idea what, what his membership with us is. I have no idea what his membership with us is, but our, our teams do. And that means we're doing it right because the people that should be handling it are handling it. That's amazing. So, so talk about future growth. Cause I'm interested, you know, obviously you're well, you're well past foundational revenue. You're paying your bills. You know, we don't have to share the numbers, but you're doing quite well. You're paying We're a seven your figure company. I want to share that. I love nice. that. It's, it was, it was a goal um, to be a seven figure company. And then I kind of, the problem with goals is after you hit them, you're like, Oh shit. Now what? Now what? Eight figures, dude. Come on. Well, I, really? Do I want that though? But that goes against my rework idea. Like we're, we're, a, I, I always say sometimes like we're a boutique business. Cause once you get to a certain point, this is true in all businesses. I, I love going to bed and breakfast. I love traveling with my wife. We went to a bed and breakfast years ago. And the woman that ran it, it had 11 rooms. And I remember having breakfast and she was there. But she was the woman that owned it, not that ran it. 
It's different. Now, you go to bed and breakfast, they have three rooms. The owner is the person making breakfast. They're doing everything, right? They're probably even making the beds with maybe someone coming in to help vacuum. This woman, I was talking to her about, she, she taught me that she'd been in the hotel business for years. She said, when you have a bed and breakfast and you have, and I forgot the numbers, but it might've been like four rooms. You have four rooms, you're, you have one staff and you're profitable here. When you go to five to eight or nine, you're bringing on more staff and you're making less money. You have to get to this level of 10 plus to now make more money. And that stuck with me. So the idea of, you know, oh, well, let's get to eight figures. Well, okay, what does that look like? You know, hiring more people, hiring more staff. I, one of the things that I don't go into a lot of detail on, but, you know, our business is extremely profitable. When we talk about revenue, like, you know, you could look at Shark Tank and, and Scrub Daddy and they're like, you know, we made 80 something million dollars, but the guy that started Scrub Daddy didn't make 60% of $80 million. Yeah. But yet when you have a company making seven figures, making a million with a few employees, well, you know, yeah, I take home a real healthy income. So I want to watch that I don't, that I don't go into that realm. I need to know my numbers to know, okay, well, at what size are we, like you said, what is your return on investment for the staff? And what are you bringing on? And, you know, having that controlled growth, where do you get to a point where the customer experience changes? And now people are, you know, not happy with you anymore because you're getting too big. So we've been dealing with a lot of that stuff because we have totally organic growth and we have throttled our growth. And it it burns me to do that because there's a sales guy in me that's like, we're chasing more, business more, away. More, 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 Yeah, we're just like chasing business away. And, you know, the idea that, well, if I turned it up, I mean, somebody from the outside, they might go, well, you need to hire this and do this and do this and turn it up. And then you would just, you know, well, it's not always that easy because I want to be responsible in our growth. But yes, now that's why we're here this weekend. That's why I'm here with you is to sit down and talk and say, okay, what does this look like? Like what kind of caught my eye is that a lot of mortgage company uh, vendors, not the mortgage companies, but vendors, you know, CRM companies, application companies, they're selling for millions and millions and millions of dollars, 250 million, uh, 90 million for Flowify, um, simple Nexus, an app, 1.2 billion. It was you that first brought that to my attention, 1.2 billion that they sold for. And it's like, oh, well, I don't know, this could be generational money. Maybe I should be growing this. So I want to look at, you know, where do I want this particular business to be? Do I want to grow it to where it is just a really strong revenue? Um, that was the other thing that I had to do last year was write the standard operating procedures. What if I get hit by a truck? You know, this can't be a business that relies on me. Yes, I'm filling these roles. And we, we figured out it would take three people to replace me. And that's an ego stroke, but it's just because of the, the talent stack, the different yeah. things and experience. But, you know, how do I, this is now a thing that provides for my family, provides for my people's families. How do I make sure that it is, is uh, that it will continue if something happens to me? And we've gotten to that step. So now it's like, okay, well, what do I do if I want to sell this business? You know, what if we want to try to sell for 25 or 50 million and I didn't think I wasn't even thinking of that before. I didn't have an exit, which that's one of the things in um, in in Emith Revisited. He talks about always having an exit strategy, right. but I didn't have an exit strategy. I was like, you know what? I'm just a guy that knows this stuff and wants to feed my kids and make a good living. And it was, I guess, you could call it a lifestyle business. Yeah. And then one day I woke up and went, oh shit, this is not a lifestyle business anymore. This is a business business. Business you know? business. And and it's like this is a real thing, and it's like 
got legs and it's bigger than me now. And it was, that was awesome to see, but I backed into it. You know, I mean, I had other businesses. I thought I had an exit strategy. This one was just because it was familiar to me and I knew how to pay my bills. And so now it's like, okay, well, what do we want to do with that? And what is that going to look like? And, and, and having that vision. So that's, yeah, that is what I'm looking at next. And that's why I want to sit and chat with you and say, what do you think? You know, get some opinions from some other people. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I had that eye opening um, moment when uh, we were doing like a trust review because we we bought another house and I think the last time we reviewed my trust, uh, my wife was pregnant with kiddo number two. Um, oh, I thought so- a trust review is when you cross your arms and like you, you yeah, fall yeah, no, trust, and trust fall, yeah. Chris, catch me. Um, and so we were talking to my lawyer and he's like, okay, we're going through the stuff and whatnot. And he's like, hey, how's consolidated coaching going? I'm like, oh, it's really good. I mean, for a side hustle um, that I do, you know, 10 or 20 hours a week on top of my 40 or 50 hours a week in the mortgage business, you know, it's making some real revenue. We went over the revenue numbers and he's like, all right. So, um, you know, tough conversation. Uh, does Karina know how to run consolidated coaching? And I'm like, no, she doesn't know anything about the mortgage business. He's like, all right. So if you get hit by a bus or die, who gets consolidated coaching? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean who gets consolidated coaching? He's like, well, you've got this significant revenue, even if it was in your, you know, operating agreement or a buy sell agreement that like, hey, you give the business to Justin Brown or Lindsey Barron's or Eric Lay or Al Set or Adam Delmonico, one of the guys you trust, um, like you want them to give an annuity of revenue to your wife because you're gone and you, that you have good life insurance, but this is this is significant money that should go to your family because of the business you built. I'm like, wait, wait, what? what? I, gotta, I gotta start thinking about if I crash my new car, like who gets the business? He's like, yes, that needs to be part of you. So now it's in my trust, uh, who gets my business if I die? And, you know, what my wishes would be for them to carry it on. And that was a crazy conversation to me because in my mind, it's like, well, I'll just retire in the mortgage business. Um, Hopefully I'll have enough money to retire on. And if I die, I've got good life insurance and the mortgage business, you know, there'll be five loan officers who attend my funeral and then are talking to realtors at the, at the reception (laughs) being like, so, you know, we're really sorry for Scott's loss, but can we start getting your referrals? And so now, you know, now I have a succession plan for the mortgage business on who gets it and a succession plan for the coaching business on who gets it. Cause it's like, yeah, there's real money there. You know, that database is worth something, that foundational revenue, that, that, um, reoccurring revenue is, is, is worth money to my family that I want them to get if my yeah. dumbass gets hit in the car, you know, and that, that's a real eye opening experience for two, you know, almost high school dropouts like us, <laughs> you know, another story. So High school, I don't know if you were a dropout, but I never actually graduated high school. The way that I graduated high school was I threatened to go back. I was legally emancipated at 17 years old. So I was, I, I have a really rocky uh, backstory and I left home at 13 and kind of came back home uh, to my mother at 16. And when I was 17, she was moving up to upstate New York. And I, you know, I said, well, I'm not moving up there. And so I went and got legally emancipated. So my senior year of high school, I was, I was le- a legal adult and, um, I had, that was my first business. All you need landscaping. Cause a, cause that was the yellow pages back then. You wanted to be a, that w- that was your Google yeah. ranking was make sure your business had the letter a yeah. at the beginning. That's why even around here in Vegas, there's still triple a bondsmen and triple yeah. a this. Cause like that's a holdover from the, from the, from the yellow, the, pages, the yellow days. pages days. Yeah. yeah. That and, and, and understanding, you know, Google is an extension of the yellow pages and that, you know, yellow pages tried to go digital with yp.com, but they got replaced anyway. So it was, it was that idea. Um, so, so my senior year, I got in a lot of trouble. Um, I, I was dating a girl that worked for a doctor. She worked in the doctor's office. The doctor loved me. He was a great guy. And I missed, you were allowed to miss, um, there's 180 days in a school year. And I think you're allowed to miss like 20. And I missed like 90. 
<laughs> so between the doctor writing me doctor's notes um, and the women in the in the that I used to charm and buy flowers for in the attendance office that would always see me in the morning, maybe when I wasn't there. Um, that was my, my senior year, and then I got expelled three days before the end of school because we had gone to the prom and we had gotten into a brawl, and I had pepper spray because we were we we went to in New Jersey. You go to the shore. And we got into a brawl with the local kids at the shore. So for the rest of that weekend, you had to be careful because we were all fighting each other. It was like it was like a movie, like something from New York. West Side Story. Yeah, something. like something from the Bronx, right? And um, so we go back to school, and I take the pepper spray, and I'm screwing around with the kid next to me, and I spray him on the leg. And he's like, ah! And, of course, the teacher, well, I was a smartass. So the teacher, she's like, well, what's that? And I'm like, ah, oh, nothing. I put it back in the book bag. Well, she went and got it. And, thankful, I mean, nowadays, I probably would have been arrested and booked. Yeah. But as it was... I actually got expelled three days before the end of school. And the only reason that, that I passed was that the principal hated me. And he said, well, in order to complete your classes and graduate, you need to take summer school. He thought he was going to, you know, like really rub it in on me. And I said, I work. I don't have time for that. I'm going to come back next year. And he's like, you can't do that. And I said, why not? You won't let me graduate. I'll just take classes next year. And next thing you know, uh, he, I never took my finals. I had passing grades on all of my finals. And I never like got a diploma. My mother was pissed because I wasn't allowed to be in the graduating, um, uh, you know, the big graduation. Yeah. And we had an outdoor graduation and all my friends were graduating. I wasn't even allowed to attend. Right. And they had state state troopers there and the state troopers had my picture. So I show up at the graduation because I don't take it seriously. I'm 17, 18 years old. So I show up and the state troopers stop me and they get the principal. And I said, listen, I said, Dr. Link, you can either let me in and I won't cause any trouble. I promise you have my word. And we knew each other to know that I was a man of my word. Or I'm going to take my van. I'm going to drive through the gates. I'm going to drive through the fence and I'm going to do donuts on the um, football field where you're doing the graduation until I get arrested. And he knew that I was also a man of my word and stupid at that time. So he let me in. And when I got in, I, there were more people cheering for me as I came in than there were cheering for anybody that graduated. It was, it was kind of like my epic Al Bundy days of high school stories. But yeah, so I never, I don't even have a high school diploma. I think on my transcripts, I graduated, but. So this is so funny. And I've told this story on the podcast before. So people will know I'm just not trying to uh, one up you or, 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 or make it sound like we're we're clearly brothers from another mother <laughs> because my senior year of high school, um, I was the ASV vice, vice president um, of the school. So I got to miss everything for the fun events. Uh, I wrestled. So like uh, probably 20 days during wrestling season, you had to leave third period to go drive cross town to go to a wrestling tournament. And then I discovered surfing and really got into girls. And so like my buddy had a, my buddy had a, 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 a Ford Bronco and we would go to first period go to second period because we like those classes. We would find whatever girl would ditch with us and we would leave for Huntington Beach to go surfing after second <laughs> bell because there was like a little 20 minute break where you could get a snack or something. And we just wouldn't come back. And so uh, at the end of my senior year, same thing. You could have however many absences and the school calls my mom and they're like, hey, your son's the ASV vice president. Um, he was varsity wrestler. He has straight A's and we're not going to let him graduate. He's got to come back and repeat his senior year because he has 57 absences. And he's, she's like, well, you know, he was sick and he does all these school activities. They're like, no, no, no. We already accounted for all those. 
Those should have been about 27 absences. He has, you know, almost double that. We're not going to let him graduate. So my mom had to go petition the school board. Like the principal was over it. Principal was like, no, we're making an example out of this guy. He was the associated student body vice president. Uh, That's not the kind of example we want in this school. So my mom had to go to the school board. And the only thing that saved me is I had signed up for the army in my senior year where I had my leave for the army date, like August 17th. And, uh, And she said, look, he's leaving for the army. And so he can either leave for the army with a diploma or not a diploma, but I can't talk this guy out of joining the army. He hasn't talked to his father for four months because his dad's so fucking pissed that he joined the army. He's not going to go to college. I was supposed to be the first one in my family to go to college. That didn't work out. Um, so she basically threw herself on the mercy of the court and they, they let me graduate. I did get to walk. I do have a diploma somewhere in a keepsake, uh, you know, chest. Uh, but yeah, you, you and I clearly, <laughs> same, clearly same brothers from another mother. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And what's funny is the, I was in all the honors courses and all that stuff too. And, and I'll bet you, I out earned probably almost everybody I went to school with doctors, yeah. lawyers, you know, and, and, uh, you know, some of us just get lucky, but, and that's where doing things that are non-conventional, um, I didn't invest in, you know, retirement. I did at one point and then we went broke and I lost all that, which at the time I didn't know you could protect it, but I was I was trying to stay afloat. So I kept dipping into our retirement, everything we'd put away and all that stuff. And uh, cause I was on commission my whole life. So when the mortgage business tanked, you're like, okay, I can make it through this. You know, it's, it's a bad month. Okay. It's a bad stretch. Okay. It's a bad four months. Uh, okay. Shit. I'm in trouble. Like yeah. that was kind of how that went. So same thing. So like my kids, I, you know, my kids are older, 23, 24. And I try to counsel them and being in their 401ks and taking a more conventional route. But when my accountant was like, you know, hey, you need to take this money and put it away. And and I'm like, hell no, I'm not. I'm like, I don't want the government telling me that I can't touch my money until I'm 60 something years old, or I'm going to have to pay 10% of it to somebody else and this and that and the other thing. And he's like, well, the the thing too, is they always told you put a, put it away pre-tax because when you're older, you're going to have a lower tax rate. And I'm like, hell no. When I'm old, I want a lot of money. I want to yeah. be making a ton of money. Yeah. I, and, and that so far is how my life has gone. I'm not making less. I'm making more, you right. know, and I'm drawing more. So I've invested in my businesses. I've invested in real estate. I don't know, you know, I don't know much about stocks. Not that I can't figure it out or learn it, but it's such a, a rigged system. Anything that you pay a million dollars to have a, a network, a server, eight inches closer than the next guy because it makes a difference in how fast you can trade and how much money you make. That's, that's something that I don't, I, I don't want to play in. I'm, yeah. I'm too low on that totem pole to figure that out. So, you know, we invest in the business. That's why I had to have that death conversation to figure that out because yeah. all of our money, you know, a lot of our money and revenue would it comes from the business recurring revenue growth and everything we built. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you think your soft spot or your sweet spot is? Like, do you think it's you know, 2 million in revenue, 3 million in revenue. Like, where do you think you can grow to before you're like, Jesus, the business has outgrown hammer. Now I got to get a CEO. Now I got to get a controller. You know, now, now I, now I do have to talk to the financial consultant to, to shelter some of this money in a SEP IRA. So I don't get right, taxed on it. Already and, doing that you know, stuff, all yeah. this crazy shit, right? It's like, it, it, you know, to go to the profit, biggie smalls, more money, more problems. Like, where do you think the sweet spot for your business is either in, you know, number of clients or revenue or staff size, you know, share whatever you're comfortable sharing. But where, where do you think the originator uh, success sweet spot is until, until your 23, 24 year old kid comes in and is like, no, dad, I'm going to work for you. We're going to grow this to a nine figure business. Cause I want to be a millionaire. Like well, well, where, where's the sweet spot for you guys. Well, And that's it. And, and you know, now you've hit my weakness. Cause I don't know. And that's what I'm trying to figure out. So I'm doing a little soul searching, a little number crunching, 
to figure that out. Is this a business that I want to try to take big and sell? Is this a business that I want to, even if we maintain, I mean, it's a fantastic lifestyle. It provides a wonderful living. Um, I always joke around because I don't know about for you. I would think it's a similar thing. We, we make enough money that we're, for lack of better terms, we're just, just not bragging, but just being objective. We're, we're wealthy middle class, right? So we're on the upper end of that middle class. And I always joke around and say, I'm a wealthy middle class, but I am a shit poor rich person. Right. In other words, you know, I, I had to book a flight to come and see you today. I, I My first flight got canceled at 10 something last night. I found out at four o'clock this morning when I looked at my phone and I had to jump on and book another flight same day, which is going to be, you know, the airlines don't look favorably on that. <laughs> right. And, and, and I booked a first class ticket because I'm like, well, I don't care if I'm going to pay 400, I might as well pay 800 because I don't care. I can afford that. But yet I couldn't charter a plane. <laughs> right, <laughs> so, right. so, you know, it's, it's, I, I could see myself if, you, if I, you showed up on a plane, a private plane to the Vegas airstrip, I'd be like, dude, I want my 300 bucks a month back. Yeah, like, you right? don't need my money. Well, yeah, well, and that's, <laughs> and that's kind of it is it's like, well, do I, you know, am I happy being at this level or, or how, how many rungs are missing in that ladder? Cause that's how I think of it in my mind. Like you've climbed that ladder and you've gotten to a certain point and now it's like, there's missing rungs before you can climb further. You know, so am I happy at these rungs or am I going to take that leap and try to grab that next rung that's way higher up where you start talking about, okay, well, maybe I do sell this company for 50 million, you know, and that's, that's, I don't know, because I, I am great at small business, but I don't have an MBA. And I do think that that's where maybe those things come in more valuable because yeah. I don't have big business experience. I don't under, you know, I'm not on a, I don't have a board of trustees. I don't have these things. So my, I want to keep originator success and I want it to grow, but I want to minimize my role in it so that I play a tech, uh, 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 technical role, a technician role of creating content because that's my talent stack and being the front man and, and doing some rainmaking. But in five years, I want a business that's part, um, part, uh, what do they call it? Shark tank and part the profit. So shark tank, People come in with their business and they have a really great idea or the beginnings of a powerful business, but they don't have the experience and the team and the capital to take it to that next level. And the prophet, he recognizes businesses that are failing because people are failing their business. And he talks about, you know, people, process and, and product. And I would love, so I'm 45 and I'll, you know, I'll be 46 next month. I, when I'm 50, I want a business where I can turn around and I could look at a, a consolidated coaching and I could say, Scott, you have everything built out right now, but I want to take your Yugo or your little Chevette and I want to turn it into a Lexus. So I want to buy into your business. I've got the capital to, to do this. I've got the team to bring you in these other people. And I want to be able to take your business from that. And again, these are fake numbers, but just for round numbers from that $1 million a year mark to that 5 million. So I want to do that at originator success. And then I want to do that for other people's businesses. And that's what I want my next business to be. I want, I want to have the team behind me that we can come in and take other people's businesses and elevate them and make them more money. And I can make money doing it. That's that I think would be really satisfying. Nice. So let's get some of the, let's get some of the Scott Groves coaching out of the way and we'll just make this public. So one of the things that I'm looking right now, um, is, you know, what, what we coach in, in 
our consolidated coaching for loan officers is primarily lead generation. Eventually we start to hide a little bit of the medicine and the cheese of like, all right, if you want to lead generate more, you got to have a team, which probably means you need to hire ahead of demand. Oh, you got a team, you have to have some systems. So we inevitably start coaching that stuff, but people initially come to us because my book's called Lead Generate, Double Your Pay in 61 Days. People think they have a lead generation problem. A lot of times they have another problem really is the other problem. And maybe that's a personal problem and we go into some personal development. Maybe that's, oh, actually I'm generating plenty of leads. I'm just not converting enough of them, right? Or maybe they are going to get plenty of leads, but now they get a, they need a team to service that lead. So it's all kind of universal business uh, principles. So what we're looking at next, and this is something we're gonna kind of like really game plan out tomorrow, is we're looking at like, all right, consolidated coaching for loan officers could effectively be consolidated coaching for realtors, consolidated coaching for insurance brokers, consolidated coaching for financial planners. Right. So the the first most logical step there is realtors. And I've got the guy, very successful realtor, um, was, was a rock star realtor, then became a rock star brokerage owner, recently sold his company to a, um, a national uh, real estate company for a amazing payout, plus a retainer, plus got to keep his team, Plus he's still selling real estate. Plus he's, still, plus he's still, plus he still has 40 uh, realtors on his team. So I'm talking to him and I'm like, use my infrastructure, my billing, uh, my billing system, my assistance, my websites, uh, my payment processing. As a matter of fact, I'll get you your first couple hundred realtors because I'll just tell my loan officers, hey, do you have realtors that want to grow? Right. Put them in consolidated coaching for realtors. And now this realtor is going to coach them. But, but here's, all right. But now you're violating the rule. Stay in your lane. So that's an, an awesome business opportunity. But because I get the same thing. People reach out to us every week. Hammer, my agents, they, they love what we do for them. Could you do that for them? And I say no. And right. I, have, I have had that same conversation with people in the real estate space saying, I will teach you everything we do so you could do it for the real estate agents and I'll get a little piece. Yeah. But at the same point, but yet I, I only have hundreds of loan officers and I could have thousands. And you same thing. So- is that the right move to go lateral into a new vertical where you could just really double down on what you're doing now and grow that? Is that the right move? Or does that now create another attention issue where you have loan, you know, maybe you don't do that until you're not writing loans anymore. Yeah. Well, well, that's the conversation I'm having now uh, with my buddy is like, Hey, I want you to be the face. I want you to do the lead generation, um, basically uh, the lead generation uh, education for the realtors. All I want to do is I want to have such a great business. That with, you provide the infrastructure. I provide you, the infrastructure. You're franchising. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Franchising, affiliate, joint venture, whatever you want to call it. Well, but, um, but in theory, it's just, you know, McDonald's, they've, you know, I've got all the posters that say, this is how you make a burger. Right. And I know I want you to take everybody yeah. and, and make that. So what I'm trying to think of is how could I do this with no extra work from me, just having my team replicate it in the real estate space and then also have the badass realtor who takes over all the production side of it, you know, um, really the, the, the lead generation, he gets on stage and does everything, but I've created the stage. So what I'm trying to think through is, is that worth a 50-50 split, a 90-10 split? Like, that's what I'm trying to think through is like, 
how valuable is the thing that I've spent seven years building so he can just plug in, step on stage? Because like we even have the marketing, we have the Facebook right. ads, we, we know how to run, we know how to run the business. I know how to tell him to do the, I now think, thanks to you, I know I now know how to tell him, this is the webinar you use to convert, just swap out the word loan officer for realtor. Swap out the word call realtors for call listing appointments, you know? And so um, I'm trying to think through that and just planting the seed for our talk tomorrow is like, I think there's a gold mine of revenue there without a whole lot of extra work by me. But you can't be emotional about it because you have to really be objective. Okay, can your team take that on? And if they take that on, that means, you know, like, okay, so in a perfect world, you're not taking that on, but that means your team has to. And if 100%. your team takes that on, what does that do to your business? And do they have that that attention? And what is their, you know, their... Um, bandwidth to take that on and what you know there's gonna there's going to be a need for support because guys like you and I you know the high school flunkies it, it's our personality it's our and not that the other person doesn't have a personality but he's not Scott Gross and we grow business through osmosis we through you know people that was probably something I learned from a guy from Perry Belcher and it was the idea of he he had something that he did with um called the, the, the selling system. And it's the idea of a system. David Sandler, um, that was, I learned that from a business coach that was also a Sandler sales coach. Sandler, David Sandler was a guy in the 80s that was teaching psychological selling. And he had the Sandler submarine. And he talked about going through these compartments and bringing people through a process. And again, same thing, processes and all that stuff. But, you know, how much of what I do when I sell, like I showed you, you know, our schedule fills up organically. Well, can I replicate organic? And if you can, you know, what does that actually look like? Or what do you do when that person is failing and it's not working for them the same way? Can you support them? So I think there's a lot of those questions that you gotta, you have to be honest about. And that, that's hard. The good news is this guy also barely made it through high school, didn't mm. go to college, has challenges with his father. I mean, like all the telltale signs of right. what make you and I have a chip on our shoulder and want to go business. Huh? Has he ever gone broke? Went broke in 2009. Did you ever go broke? Totally. I was going to say, because the, the thing about people that make money is that we've gone broke and we're afraid, like, just crazy afraid that we're going to oh, yeah. go broke again. Dude. Like every day I wake up and I'm like, what happens if this all disappears? And I'm like, mathematically, do you know how like the meteor has to hit the earth to break this business? But yet every day I wake up afraid that it's going to fall apart. Yeah. Because well, the, of that. The good news is, you know why he was a realtor? Because he went broke, broke in 2008 as a loan officer. Yeah. And then he's like, wait a minute. I, I've been killing myself for this job where I make one point. I can go over here and do this job where I make 3%. He's like, yeah. I'm going to do that one. So yeah, he's he's cut from the same cloth as you and I. So that that's one of the reasons I feel like it could work. And he and I have been in the same men's group for about five years. Um, so I, I think it can work, but I'm also emotionally tied to like it working. And to your point about, you know, your buffet of products that you were emotionally tied to is like, is this a good business decision or is this a good emotional decision where I'm just getting the dopamine hit for like trying something new? Cause like, right. why not try something new? Well, that's um, it. I mean, I, I am the king of bridge building. I build, I'll build five bridges, but they're all 60% over the river. So, and, then, and then I get bored and that's where my team has to come in and clean up. And you know, that, that was, I'll tell you, cause my right-hand guy is also my brother. So he's, uh, you know, we had a time where we, we had some, some, um, I, I get, I don't know, friction in our relationship because he couldn't keep up with the jumping around. He's the yin to my yang. He's a great project manager. He's the operations guy. He's very logical. I don't want to say he's negative, but I'm the, the eternal optimist and he's a somewhat pessimist. So I'm like, we're going to build our own rep. I'm tired of this reputation software, not working properly. We're going to build our own. And he's like, you do realize it's going to cost a couple hundred grand, right? 
And I'm like, I don't care. And he's like, and how much did he like? He'll run the number. Like he's the guy that just kind of, so when I wanted to do this hire, I said to him, okay, again, he works for me. It's my company, but he had to sign off on it because that's his role in my company. And even though I'm the owner and I could do what I want, well, no, I, his job is to, is to hold me accountable and he had to sign off on the hire. So it's that same thing. I, you know, do you have somebody that's going to look at it and say, okay, poke holes in it for you and tell you everything that's going to go wrong on it. And, and then, or is it, again, it might be a great decision, but is now the right time for that? Right. Because you've got this, you know, you said you've made, you know, half that momentum was in the last year. Are you going to risk losing that momentum because you now made yourself too thin? And I'm not saying you will, but what's your answer if that won't happen? You right, know, that's what right. you have to be able to answer. Hence and the reason you're here, and I'm going to buy you very expensive <laughs> cigars tomorrow at Caesar's Palace, so we can sit down in the back and map this all out. These are good. This yeah, yeah. One, these are um, a little lighter than what sometimes I've. I've. What's funny is you smoke a lot more cigars than I do because my wife um, does not like cigar smell. So if if I'm getting snuggling, I'm not smoking cigars. And, yeah. And um, yeah, the, sexy time on the calendar, a hundred percent got deleted because I'm smoking cigars tonight. So um, <laughs> I want to know that I chose you and yeah, this over, cigar over sexy time. Right. So so I. I've gotten to where I've, I have some of the darker Maduros. I've learned I like that nicotine hit. These these are actually pretty good. Um, yeah. coming down to this. So. All right, so two two closing questions that we always close the podcast on. Uh, one, and I don't care if this is personal, political, business. What's what's the question I forgot to ask? We're filming this at the beginning of 2022. For the first time ever, we're like months ahead on our podcast schedule. So this might not come. You. This might not come out till April or May of 2022. But uh, assuming we're in the first half of 2022, what's the question I forgot to ask Hammer? You know, I, I I hate to come up short on this one. We we've had a, quite the fun. Uh, like I said, I feel very Joe Rogan esque here. We've had yeah. a great conversation that circled around. Um, I, I what what did you fail to ask? Uh, that that oh man, I'm sorry. I'm I'm really struggling on this one. That's all right. We'll go to question number two, and you can think about. We can circle back around. Okay, I'll, I'll, let, my, number, I'll let my subconscious work on that one. Perfect. So question number two is much easier, and sometimes for people like you and I, much harder. Favorite movie and why? Matrix. Whoa, that was quick. Create your own reality. In fact, I'm thinking of getting a tattoo here on the forearm with, uh, and a lot of tattoo artists, I, I've actually had to interview a few of them because they don't want to go near it. I want um, I want it to feel like it's popping out of the skin. It's going to say the words with the matrix code in the background. It's going to say, create your reality. And that was that's why the matrix is, the original, I, I actually am one of the rare guys that liked the new one. I like the new one the, too. I, I thought it was good. I, especially, I watched it twice. And if yeah, you watch too. it the second time, you pick up things that they really did do well. And you see things that were just behind the scenes. And, and there again, it reinforced that idea of the first Matrix, which was, you know, what is your reality? Is, you know, it's not that you bend the spoon. It's, is there a spoon? Know? Right, and and it's kind of that thing. So that's what I love about the Matrix. That's why it's my favorite movie. Is 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 it's that reality. It's that breakdown of reality and um, our own head trash and your head space and lim limiting beliefs. So I think that's all in a, a great action movie. And uh, you know, let's face it, Keanu Reeves. I I wouldn't put him in uh, you know Macbeth, uh, but when you make him John Wick or the Matrix, he's I the think best. I think he's got a, he really does those roles well. So one of the best things about working in Los Angeles and living in Los Angeles my whole life is that I have had an opportunity to run into a lot of celebrities, Keanu Reeves being one of them. Uh, I was, I, I used to go when I was broke um, and I was trying to rebuild my business. I would buy the, uh, the two day old containers of cookies at like Ralph's and you know, they were like five 99, but I didn't have five 99. So I'd wait till they were a couple days old at the bakery and I would go on Sunday and I would buy like 20 packages of them for, for two bucks. And I put a bunch of business cards in them. And I'm like, all right, I can go for three hours to open houses on Sunday 
and I can buy 10 to 20 packages of these cookies and 10 bucks of gas. I think I have $50 in my checking account to, <laughs> to get out there and generate some business. So I would go open house as many as I could. The first hour that open houses were open on Sunday, I'd take a box of cookies. I'd be like, hey, Mr. And Mrs. Realtor, share some cookies with your staff. You know, this was before everybody was terrified about a pandemic. Um, Share, share these cookies with your people that come in, give them a business card. I'd love to be here as a resource when any of your clients are ready to buy or refinance. So one time I'm pulling up to this really beautiful house up in the Hollywood Hills uh, that I wish I would have bought because back then it was probably selling for a million, a million five, and now it's probably worth four million. And uh, this dude rolls up on a motorcycle and I swear to God, like right out of a movie, like he took off his helmet and his, his hair just blew in the wind. Like this was, uh, this is, you know, nice and nice and slow for a movie. And uh, it was Keanu Reeves and he was on his motorcycle and he was, I think he was looking for a house for a family member. And I'm like, whoa, you're Keanu Reeves. And he's like, yeah, that's what the movie poster says. And I'm like, dude, that's the coolest fucking Keanu Reeves like statement ever. So we both walked in. I was like super like, this is one of the few times I've been starstruck. Starstruck when I ran into him and starstruck when I ran into Magic Johnson because he was like my hero growing up. Um, maybe two times I've been starstruck in my life. And he was just such a cool cat, looked around the house, was really nice to the realtor, got in his Harley and took off. And I was talking to my buddy Kirk and I was like, holy shit, man, that was Keanu Reeves. And, <laughs> and so that was, my, that was my Keanu Reeves story. So- and I'm going to go back now. Subconscious has, which by the way, um, whenever I have an issue, I think my subconscious is triple as strong as my conscious. Any, any decision that I make for as smart as I think I am, I think that my subconscious is actually the reason for my success. I let that do all the work. So the question you didn't ask is what is one thing? So I have, let me preface this. I have a successful company, seven figure company. It's taken me from December or October, 2014 to, to this year to get there. What is one thing that I would go back and change in the last five years that would have sped up that process or that I would have done differently? Great question. And it, we've kind of touched on it, but I'm going to reinforce with it. I would have, going back, if I, if I get one, one chip, I get one opportunity to jump in that, um, the DeLorean, and I could go back, I would have listened to my right-hand guy and the business coach much sooner, and I would have t put away the buffet and opened up my Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I would have simplified the the offer that, and just stayed in our lane and not tried to make it work for as long as I did being everything to everybody. That was the one thing that I did that held me back. Even though our revenue increased year over year over year, it we didn't we didn't hit velocity until I made that commitment of we're gonna simplify and we're gonna only do this and we're gonna be the best at it. That's one thing I wish, I don't, I, I, my goal was always to have no regrets and I don't have many regrets in life. I would say almost none, but one thing, it's not a regret, but if I could go back in the five years, I would go back a couple of years ago. I would go back this, we switched in 2020, it had nothing to do with COVID. It just happened to be that year, but I would go back and say in 2018 and say, this is what's waiting for you. Just do it. That's the one thing that I would do differently. And that's, that's the question you would ask me is what one thing would you do different? I would have done that sooner, man. See, this is why we can't do a podcast because now this has led to a story of like, what's the one thing that I would tell myself five years ago? Because that's a great question. Um, uh, Clay Eber, H-E-R-B-E-R-T, looks like Herbert. Clay Eber, uh, great guy, has done monstrous, monstrous consults for Kickstarter campaigns. He's got a keynote called The Perfect Calendar. He's got another keynote called The Perfect mm -hmm. Introduction. Really, really sharp guy. And he came to a couple of our events actually right before I met you, which is a shame because you would love this guy. So um, awesome, awesome, awesome dude. And about 
four or five years ago, we did a sit down consult with him and like consolidated coaching had kind of been like just, just, it wasn't really even a business yet, you know, and I kind of had loosely had a business partner, Mike Merriam, great guy, now runs his own coaching business, very successful, loved the dude. We didn't need to work together. We couldn't really find our vision together. And we sat down with Clay Bear and exactly what you're saying, we're like, well, we want to be all things to all people in the mortgage industry. So we're going to offer effectively the coaching we have now for $59 a month. Because, you know, if we can just get 100, 1,000, 10,000 loan officers to pay 59 bucks a month, because it's 59 bucks a month, who can't, who can't afford $59 a month in this business? And Clay looked us straight in the eye, and he's like, dude, he's like, I made this mistake. I, I'm known for, like, really having this successful marketing niche. And so what I did was I started a $80 a month program where you would have access to my Slack channel, and I would answer questions as I could. And, um, and then we would do, like, a once-a-week webinar, group webinar. And he gave me some advice then that I didn't take and I wish I would have. He's like, when you have a low cost product, be very careful that you're not building a tribe of people you don't want to lead. And sure enough, we said, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Launch the $59 program. I remember when you were 59 bucks. Yeah, and now for something similar, but much better because I'm more seasoned. We have an actual business now. Now we charge somewhere between $300 and $900 depending on what program people sign up for. And and sure enough, that's what happened. We built a couple hundred people paying $59 a month. And even though I knew it and they knew it consciously, subconsciously, they thought for $59 a month they were paying for private coaching. And and even now, my $900 a month clients, they know they're not paying for for one-on-one coaching. They're paying for group coaching. They're paying for me to curate the group. And I do a lot of content on Sunday and drip it out throughout the week so I can work on my mortgage business. Um, But what we ended up doing is we ended up building a $59 product where half of the people who were raving fans became haters because they got mad that they didn't have private access one-on-one at demand for $59 a month, which obviously I couldn't do because I was building a $100 million mortgage business. And so half of the people that should be clients today are are dissenters from the program because they were in at $59 a month and they were like, well, why would I pay $900 now, you know? Um, And they should because the business is great and our clients are having success. But I did exactly what he said not to do is don't build a tribe of people that you don't want to lead because at the end of the day, the person whose credit card gets declined when you try to charge them $59 at the end of the month those are not the people you want to grow alongside with. You know, if they don't have $59 available balance on their credit card, they're not taking coaching seriously. They're not growing their business. And sure enough, that's the one thing, if I could go back in time, I would have had a much higher price point earlier with a better group of people. Then you curate a better group and a better tribe. Then they help each other grow. It's it's not a surprise that when I raise the price point, the people that were committed back when they were doing $15 million a year in loans are now doing 50 or $100 million a year in loans and they're not scared that rates went up and they're excited to get back to $100 million a year in purchase business all because I had that higher price point which made people more committed which means I had a better tribe which means they have more success which means we have more testimonials to get other higher paying clients and I'm like, Clay, if you're watching this, I'm sorry I didn't listen to you the first time. Um, if I could go back in five years and kick my own ass, that's, that's what I would have done. Thing. Cool, awesome. man. All right. Well, well that's the way fun. to that's the way to end the podcast, bro. Sounds good. Now we get to spend two days fixing our businesses, <laughs> <laughs> fixing businesses that aren't broken. Yeah, I know. <laughs>
That's so funny. The mortgage business and running your own business is like the only way, it's the only, it's the only thing that you can do where you're like, oh my God, I made this much money this year. I had this much impact. I helped this many clients. And all I can think about is the money I didn't make, the clients I didn't get, the opportunities that I missed out on, the things I could have been doing better. And it's like, that's not a way to think about life. Yeah. And that's, and that's the same thing. And I, I have a vision for what I want our company to be. And instead of me trying to be, I, I love learning. So that's one thing that Tom, my operations guy, he would point to me and say, you try to learn Zapier. And so you could set up all these apps. I just pay somebody that knows Zapier and that's, and he's, you know, and I'm like, but I love doing the same thing. I love the fixer. I love being the guy. I love the builder. I love, so, you know, I always fight that one. And that's, that's a battle. That's a awesome, battle. man. Now I'm ready for this. Well, we'll have you back in uh, maybe a couple months because we're going to be doing a live event in March. So maybe we'll do another one of these uh, in-between sessions. And Hammer, thanks for coming over. And Hicks, thanks for flying all the way out here. <laughs> thanks for having me. Man. Cool, man. Take care.